I'm still looking for that friendship bracelet though, Brian. That would mean a lot to me. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts 1.8. That's where I'll eventually be uh, taking the message from, Acts 1.8. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, uh, as you well know, we've been talking about Connect, Grow, Go. And we pray that you would enable us to connect with others, to grow deep in the word and to go forth with a gospel. Father, as we talk about connecting and growing and going, we know that for some, connecting has been very hard. And we pray that you would work to bring people one to another. For others, growing has been slow. And we pray that you would allow us to prioritize our lives in such a way that you would be first and foremost in our minds. Father, for others, it has not been a season of going. And we ask that, again, you would allow us to have a burden locally and globally for a world. Father, we look at what's happened this last week in our own nation. Painful events, ones of which maybe we would see differently than one another, or maybe the same, I don't know. But Father, through anyone's eyes, it's clear that we have a nation that desperately needs Jesus. And we have a world that desperately needs Jesus. Use us. As a Matthew West song says, use us. May we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I have a friend. He and his wife actually are the founders of this church. About a year and a half ago, I would suppose, he gave me a copy of a letter that he wrote. He wrote this letter to a number of family members, extended family members, friends, individuals. He desperately wants to hear the gospel. And in this letter, he shared about what Christ has done in his life. And in this letter, he shared crystal clear presentation of the gospel. And he sent it out to essentially his Christmas list because he wanted people to know about Jesus. It was his way of going. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but I love it. I know two other individuals, one of whom is actually in the room today. Uh, another one goes to Wausau Bible Church. These individuals throughout the summer, they go to county fairs. They don't necessarily go there to eat elephant ears or to play games and ride the rides on the midway or even necessarily to go to the latest Beach Boys concert. They might have caught one of those, I don't know. But they go there to set up a booth 
And above their head is a banner that reads something like this, are you a good person or something akin to that? Their desire is to strike up conversations with individuals to call people to think, are we actually good enough on our own to come into the presence of a holy God? The week I wrote this sermon, 107 people came to Christ. The next week, over 200 additional people came to Christ. Now, I don't know what you think about that means of going, but I love it because people are coming to Christ. I have a friend. He actually is on staff with me at Highland. If you go out to lunch with him, plan for like an extra 10 minutes. Pity the waiter or the waitress who serves us because he's going to share the gospel with them. And I love it most of the time. Sometimes when I'm really hungry, you can see I'm just like whittling away. Sometimes when I'm really hungry, I think to myself, can you not wait until after we order and then share the gospel? Because, you know, I'm here for a purpose and it might not be the gospel. You know, I'm a quarter inch deep and, and a bad attitude to boot. He shares the gospel with individuals he comes in contact with. I don't know what you think about that, but I love it. I think of a man, his name is Rock and Rollin' Stewart, and his wife Margaret. Now, for some of you old rock and roll headbangers, I'm thinking of you, Dave Mahler. I'm not talking about Rod Stewart. I'm talking about Rockin' and Rollin' Stewart and his wife, Margaret. We probably don't even know his name, but we've seen his placards. In times gone by, you could see them at the Super Bowl or the World Series or the Indy 500, and when the camera came their way, they'd hold up a placard, John 3.16 or Romans 5.8. That out of mercy, God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And they'd hold these placards up with the hope that someone, anyone, might look up the verse and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think about that type of evangelism. I remember uh, it was Dr. Moody, D.L. Moody, of the Moody Bible Church and the Moody Institute, he was speaking one day and a woman approached him afterwards. She said, Dwight, I don't like the way that you share the gospel. He said, you know what? I don't really like it either. How do you share the gospel? She said, well, I don't. He said, I like my way of sharing the gospel better than your way of not sharing the gospel. Touche. We can look at the examples I gave and and perhaps we could say, yeah, I love that, or I'm not sure about that. But the truth is, if people are coming to Jesus, we ought to rejoice. With each of the illustrations I gave, I purposely chose means of sharing the gospel that are not a regular part of my life. I do regularly share the gospel. But I don't use any of the means that I just shared but I rejoice when people come to know Jesus. There is exactly one gospel. There is one way by which men are saved. That's through faith in and acceptance of 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the sole payment of our confessed and the power of God's Spirit turned from or repented of sin. That is the only gospel that is on our planet. It's the only gospel. But there are lots of ways, different ways, to share the gospel. It can be as innocuous and innocent as inviting friends and relatives to church, knowing that they will hear the gospel. That's a pre-evangelistic movement that moves towards the gospel. Or it can be as intimidating as going to a fair and setting up a booth and sharing Christ. One gospel, many ways to share the gospel. And interestingly enough, Paul gives us some insight on how we ought to look at how others share the gospel. He actually talks about people who share the gospel out of strife, a lack of sincerity, personal gain, rather than a sincere heart. Listen to what he writes. It's kind of shocking to all of us. He writes this in Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I would submit to you that if that weren't inspired and errant truth from Scripture, if we didn't read it, we would not likely come to that conclusion. I would say those who preach the gospel out of rivalry and envy and personal gain, I want nothing to do with that. And Paul says, no, no, no. If it's the one true gospel, even though I don't like their motives, I don't like their attitudes, they're sinful, I am excited. In fact, he says, I rejoice that the gospel goes forth. The Bible is all about preaching the gospel, the good news. It's the Greek word, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. And just in case, before we get to our text, we're unclear on the gospel, I want to read some passages that give us the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the salvation message. The gospel is not a reading. Sometimes we're in churches and they say, this is the gospel reading. Well, if it's about how you are saved, then yes, it's the gospel. If it's another passage about how you are to live, it's not the gospel. The gospel is how we are saved for the Jew first and then the Greek. The gospel is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's believing in the work of Christ. That's the gospel. Ephesians 2.8.9 is for the gospel. For by grace, grace is not what we earn. It's not what we merit. It's what God freely gets. For by grace, we are saved through faith. How are we saved through faith? It's the gift of God, not of works. So none of us can boast. That's the gospel. The gospel is if we confess with our mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raises him from the dead, then we will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, that is declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The gospel is John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel is believing in the finished work of Christ rather than in our own works for salvation. That is the gospel. And the Bible is all over the gospel. And it says to us that we have the privilege to take the gospel and go. I love what Brian said in the video. He said, I used to say I have to. Now he says I get to. I get to go and share salvation with those who desperately need it. It's a privilege that God has given to us. The gospel is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. This is the great commission, the commission that Jesus sent us out to fulfill to share the salvation message with others. It's the go, connect, grow, go, tell others about saving knowledge in Christ alone. As you and I well know, there are a number of commission passages in Scripture. They all essentially say the same thing, but they all have slightly different emphases. Let me read from Matthew 28, 18 and 19. This is the emphasis of authority. This is why we have the authority to go and share the gospel. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, per you enthentes, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have the authority to go because the authority of Christ, the authority that is above anything on heaven or earth, that authority has been imputed to Christ's followers. And so we go with the authority of Jesus when we go and share the gospel. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, while he's in Banias or Caesarea Philippi, he said the gates of hell, they cannot prevail. Not when we go in the authority of Jesus. Now listen to Mark 16. It's not so much about authority it's over the, the balance of death and life eternal. Listen to Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said to them, go. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you see the dichotomy? You either have eternal life or you have eternal death. We go in the authority of Jesus. The gates of hell cannot stand against him. But what we're sharing is an eternal message. A message of salvation with God or separation from God. Both eternal. There is no universalism. Everyone is saved. There is no purgatory. You go there and you spend on average 1,902,202 years to work your way from purgatory into heaven. It's not a biblical concept. There's no annihilationism. 
You go to hell for a short period of time and God destroys you. It's an eternal heaven and eternal hell. Eternity hangs in the balance. I think of the proclamation of the commission in John. And it talks about the heart of Jesus, which needs to be my heart as well. John 17, verse 18. He's speaking, Jesus, to the Father. He says, as you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We go with the authority of Jesus. We go understanding that eternity hangs in the balance. And we go with the heartbeat of Jesus. What's the heartbeat of Jesus? Listen to 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. That's not his absolute will, that's his permissive will. Not permissively wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The desire, the heartbeat of Jesus is that people come to know him, that he spends himself on behalf of others. And if that's the heartbeat of Jesus, it needs to be the heartbeat of us. Think of Acts 1.8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Think of the context. It's 40 days after the resurrection of Christ. He is about to ascend into heaven. Jesus always speaks wisely. He always speaks perfectly. Jesus has never, will never sin. How many times have I used my mouth foolishly, cuttingly, unwisely? Jesus doesn't have that. He never had that. He never will have that. He's always spoken wisely. But I think even Jesus, if he's coming to the last moments before he ascends, his last moments when he's going to speak to his disciples, I think even though all of Jesus' words are perfect, I think at that moment, like you, like me, at the last moment in which we're going to speak to someone and we know it, we're going to speak the, the deepest part of our heart. And it's at that moment that he said, you are being my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power, And you are to be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is very close to the heart of Jesus. He wants us to be his witnesses. He tells us to go. He tells us to go. He's talking about geographic centers, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. For us, geographic centers right now is what? Wausau and Weston and Marathon and the the areas that they surround. And he says to go forth from them and share the gospel. Go to Wausau West and Wausau East and D.C. Everest and Athens and Edgar and Marathon. Wherever you go to school, go there and go not only to study, but go with the gospel. If you work at Marathon Electric or Aspirus or the Marshfield Clinic or any of the insurance companies, or in manufacturing on East Bay, or or wherever you work, you don't just go to collect a paycheck, that's a big part of it, but you go to share the gospel, 
to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't age conditioned. You don't have to get to a certain age and then you start sharing. This is conditioned by if you're a Christ follower. If you and I know Jesus, we are to go and we are to go forth with the gospel. Now, if you and I have studied the book of Acts in any depth, we know that they did a great job with Jerusalem, didn't they? I don't want to beat them up too hard. I'm going to beat them up in a moment, but I don't want to beat them up too hard because they really took Jerusalem seriously. They took their own area, their own ethnicity, and they planted lots of churches and they saw lots of people come to Jesus and they told people about the saving knowledge of Christ. And they did that for about two years. For about two years, they went forth as I know many of you go forth rightly and share the gospel with friends and relatives, people you know in the band or the orchestra, in the recreation or on a ball field, and you share the gospel, and right we and you should. And they did that. But they didn't go beyond Jerusalem. So we come to Acts 8.1. We're about two years, maybe three months into it. So God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's patient. He said, go and... And they didn't really go very far. And so after about two years, maybe three months, we read this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered where? Through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except for the stubborn, I threw that word in, apostles. The church did not move. The church did not obey. And God was patient with the church. He's patient with us. But at some point, God said, you know, I gave you a commission. I gave you a role. I gave you an obligation to fulfill, but it's more than an obligation. It's a privilege. It's not just the I have to do. I get get to do. But they said no. So God brought persecution into the church, and he scattered them. And that's the way it went forth, the gospel. It went to Judea and Samaria. Those are geographically close, but they're culturally different. They're kind of like Detroit. We have uh, Pastor Tyler St. Clair. You remember he came and visited with us a while back, and Pastor Tyler St. Clair is pastoring a multi-ethnic church, and he has a little bit better tan than I do. And uh, recently some men went there from our church and helped with an outreach project. And I think this summer, most likely, uh, our youth group is going to go and do a vacation Bible school there. That's our Judea. That's our Samaria. It's geographically close to us. Detroit's not that far. But ethnically, it's quite different than what is normative for central Wisconsin. And that's our Judea. That's our Samaria or part of it. And God says, go. But the church didn't go until God scattered them. But when he scattered them, two years, maybe three months into it, they still didn't go to the ends of the earth. We have to wait 15 years before they go beyond their normal boundaries. But God always has his way. And so we read the following in Acts 13, 1 to 2. We are now 15 years into the book of Acts from Acts 1, 8 to Acts 13, 15 years. Now there were in the church at Antioch 
prophets and teachers. Barnabas, he's from Cyprus, right? Simeon, who is called Niger, uh, that means black-skinned. He's got a good tan. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaean, a member of the court of, the, of Herod the Tetrarch. So now we're changing economic stratas as well. And Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they began to go. They began to go to the ends of the earth. What might that look like in our culture? For many of us, we're probably not going to be vocational, full-time missionaries. But we might have an opportunity to give to long and short-term mission endeavors. We, we can pray for individuals. We might even be able to go on a short-term mission trip. Uh, generally, every January, Brian and Linda Gottschalk lead a trip to uh, Pastor Isidro's church in La Romana or the surrounding area or Pastor Widmy in Haiti. That's a way for us to go or to support people who go. We have Mitch Cooper in Honduras from our own church. Uh, we have Oscar and Carla Chiquita in Guatemala and some of our youth have gone in sect. Some of our adults have gone as well. Maybe we have a heart for South Sudan with Pastor Joseph and Pastor Luca. And we know that in South Sudan, right now, there's all sorts of violence. And it's, it's a country just ripped apart. And maybe we can't physically go there, but we can lift these brothers and sisters up in the Lord, especially in the Urelo Center in Tarit, where we have some relationship with some of these people. Or maybe it's praying for Vern and Jenny uh, Johnson uh, in um, the Ivory Coast in Africa. Or maybe it's getting uh, involved in the missions committee and you need to talk to Ken Moberg or Joel Wishmuller who lead our missions committee. There's lots and lots of ways for us to go with our money, with our prayers, short term. Or, or maybe God's calling some vocationally to permanent ministry outside the walls and the boundaries of what we call home. God wants us to be his witness. Witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The English word witness actually comes from the Elizabethan era. Queen Elizabeth, she reigned from about 1566 to 1603. And witness comes from the word wit, which means to know something. So when you talk to Brian Whitaker, he knows something. He's a pretty bright guy. A wit is a person who knows something. We are to be witnesses. And I think there are at least a few things we need to know. First, we need to know the gospel. We need to know the gospel clearly. That faith in Jesus alone an acceptance of his death, burial, and resurrection as a payment. His death for our sin. His resurrection for our eternal life. That's the gospel. We need to know that. We need to know a little bit about those we're sharing with. And we certainly don't want to take our culture into another culture. We just want to take God's gospel into all cultures. We're not trying to transport the things we do, we're trying to transport the truth of God's message to others. 
That's what we need to know. That's what a witness knows. And we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem, that's probably our neighbors. Could be our relatives. Judea and Samaria, they're ethnically close. Or excuse me, geographically close, ethnically different. For someone like me, it might be a Hmong person or a Hispanic person. For a Hispanic person, it might be an Anglo like me. It's someone who lives near one another, but culturally has probably grown up with different cultural norms than I have, or for me, that they have. In the ends of the earth, that's the whole globe, and God wants us to go. Connect, connect with one another. Reach out in love. 1 Corinthians 12, understand the body analogy that we need one another. Connect, grow. We need to be in the Word, Psalm 119. The centrality of the Word. We ought to bleed Bible and go. We need to share the gospel locally and globally. Connect, grow, go. Let's pray. Father God, admittedly, it's a lot easier to talk about connecting than to do it, to talk about growing than being in prayer and in the Word and in corporate worship, and to talk about going than to risk sharing the gospel. But Father, may we have the attitude that we don't have to do this, we get to do this. And we're thankful that we don't do it on our own. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Help us to connect, to grow, to go. For your glory. Amen.